and welcome back to the Prism Podcast. My name is Sydney Lish, but you can call me Sid. After five years of mentoring thousands of people as a wellness entrepreneur, I figured it was time to create a one-stop shop for you to find all things business advice, health and wellness, success principles, creating legacy income, tangible tips, motivation, and more. The Prism Podcast captures a full spectrum of all the information you need to actualize your excellence. So let's go. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Prism Podcast. Today, we have a very, very special guest named Sarah Ordo, who is the owner of 24 Lux Beauty Bar and 24 Lux Hair and Makeup in Detroit, Michigan. This woman is truly a do-it-all woman. I met her probably about a year ago. And in this episode, we really dive into everything from her journey of sobriety, her journey of writing, you know, 10 books in the last seven years, building an incredible multiple six-figure business, having a team of 15 plus people, um, her speaking engagements, her events that she hosts. She does so much. She also gives so many tangible tips on how she schedules and prioritizes things, how she builds a business while being a mother. Um, And she just provided so much value. So I'm so excited to dive into the episode. If you guys enjoy it, check her out, go find her. All the links are listed below for her books, for her website, for her events, for her speaking engagements, for her business, everything. So I'm so excited to introduce Sarah Ordo to you guys. All right, everyone, we are here today with Sarah Ordo. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Um, And Sarah, you and I got actually connected through a mutual friend, Kelly Callahan, who I recently just interviewed. And it was, she's, she's one of the coolest people I know. And she always introduces me to the best people. And when I met you, I was like, this girl is, this woman, I guess, is such a rock star. Like my experience of you is just, bold and courageous and fucking like boss woman. And so I'm, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you for that amazing intro. Yeah. Kelly's amazing. I love Kelly. Um, I've made so many connections through her, so love her to death. Um, but yeah, I'm so excited to be here. I'm I'm pumped. I'm pumped to chat. Me too. Me too. And you're out in Michigan, correct? Yes. I'm in the Detroit area. Amazing. Amazing. So I I would love if you kind of just dive into your story, because obviously you weren't born an entrepreneur, you hadn't written, you know, 10 or 11 books, owned a beauty bar and all of these things. And you've created so much in so many different avenues. So I would love if you could kind of take everyone back to before Sarah Ordo was Sarah Ordo and, you know, how you kind of came to be um, this like do it all woman. Yeah. So I, I will say I'm, I'm transitioning out of being the do it all woman a little bit, <laughs> but I definitely had my season of that, which had its perks. Um, so I started out, I went to college. I wanted to go to beauty school. My parents were like, no, you have to go to school. Um, so I actually have a degree in early childhood that a lot of people don't know about. Wow. Yeah. But I was literally, I, I put myself through beauty school at the same time because I wanted to do that. And I was like, I'm one of those people like, tell me no. And then I'm going to say, well, watch me, you know? So went through beauty school. I was working seven days a week between um, working at a preschool and then working on the salon on the weekends because I still really enjoyed doing that. And I just got to a point of like, why am I working seven days a week to do something I really want to do? And so I eventually obviously left teaching behind and then went 
full into um, the beauty industry. I started 24 Lux Hair and Makeup in 2013 um, as a bridal on location on travel team in the Detroit metro area and then destination weddings. Um, and I was kind of doing that for a long time and went on this whole pursuit after I got sober of you know, going into another area of the entrepreneur space where I went into coaching, um, podcasting, writing books and doing kind of like my own lane for a while. Um, and at, at towards the end of that, kind of, I decided it's weird because I've never actually talked about this until now, but like beauty totally took a backseat to me for a while when I was doing all these other things, but it never went away. And I guess I should have taken that as a sign um, because as soon as I decided I wanted to open the beauty bar, it's been like full steam ahead, ex insane growth. Like it's just been crazy. So I opened my brick and mortar, um, in 2020, right before COVID, which was a crazy experience. Um, and so now I've got a multiple six figure business here between the bridal team and the beauty bar brick and mortar. Um, I'm still kind of writing books here and there. And now I'm a mom and trying to figure out how to balance and navigate it all. And stay on top of everything. It's it's really incredible. I'm I have so many um different directions I want to go with you, but I think mm -hmm. we could really start with the beauty industry because mm -hmm. being in the beauty industry, there's there's because I work with so many beauty professionals now, it's like I realize how many there are. And there's a few people that stand out to me, and you're one of them where like you've created so much success in that industry. And there's so many people that have not. And so I would love if you could kind of go into, you know, whether it's like the quality of service you provide or just your own personal energy. What, what do you think some of those key things are that have set you up for success in the beauty industry, you know, beyond just like having a few clients here and there? Yeah. So I started out just me, um, basically like when I first started doing weddings, it was me. And then I would sometimes do both hair and makeup, or I would find a friend that could come do it. But in the beginning it was just me. So I think a lot of it had to do with my personal drive in general, you know, wanting to do all the things, having the dedication, the passion. Um, but also I think, and a lot of people in the beauty industry can probably attest to this. There's a million places you can go get your lashes done. There's a million places you can get your hair done. Um, I think so much of it is the client experience because there's a lot of people that can do what you do probably at the same caliber and probably some even better than you, to be honest. Yeah. But I think a lot of it, people buy into the person as much as they do the service and the relationship. And like, there's times where you almost become like the little therapist. It's, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Especially bridal industry, like being with someone on the biggest day of, for some people of their life, you know, and having to kind of like walk through it with them and calm nerves and keep things calm. So I think that's definitely been a lot of it. Um, and as far as like the growth I've had with building a good team, like social media has been pivotal to the explosion we've had in the last few years. Like, and people laugh about like how much I'm on my phone and how much I'm on social media and stuff, constantly doing stories and things. But like, for example, our booking website, like I can see where they come from. You can track where people book you through we have an insanely high percentage that comes from Instagram and Facebook, like insane. And as soon as I saw that that's where the majority of it was coming from, I was like, okay, we're going to do even more energy uh -huh. <laughs> here because nowadays everything's video image, you know, reels, TikToks, all these different things. Um, and if you can capitalize on that, a lot of it is essentially free unless you're paying for ads. And I see so many people that don't 
jump on that train, even local people to us that I'm like, my God, like your page is terrible. You're not showing any photos of what you're actually doing. You're just like typing out words and like people can't see who you are and what you're doing and connect with you. That just, I'm just like, oh, you guys are wasting it. (laughs) It's so true. I just did a call last week with a woman in the beauty industry. And I told her, I was like, I don't know what you look like. I don't, if I'm going to book you for a spray tan or for my lashes or for my hair, I need to know who I'm going to be sitting in a chair with for two to three hours at some points for different services. 100%. And I, I, you know, like you said, it's like people aren't buying your service necessarily. They're buying you. And because there's so much competition, but that's what I love is you were so authentic on your social media too. Like you jump on without your makeup and your hair done. You're like being a mom all the time. But that's what I think makes you successful is it's not always being perfect and always being put together. It's like showing your lifestyle, showing who you are and people can actually relate to that. And that's, that's, I think a huge part of success in, I think so too, honestly, because I mean, even me, like when you watch someone and I mean, a beautiful aesthetic, a beautiful feed, always looking professional, a hundred percent, that is some people's lane and that's what they do. And that's what they like. And that's what they think helps them. But to me, like, I don't know, like 99% of the people out here don't relate to you in that look and that frame and that vibe. Like, you know, she's sitting at home in a top knot in her sweatpants and you're in a business suit, like 24 seven. Like, you know what I mean though? Like that's intimidating, especially in the beauty industry. Like some places probably intimidate a lot of their customers away because they look very, I don't like, what's the word I'm looking for? They look very like to someone that's not at that level unapproachable. Oh yeah. And it's Mm -hmm. almost like an unworthiness thing where it's like, well, I don't even deserve to go in there because I'm going to be running in with my hair in a bun and my sweatpants (laughs) on, which is like 90% of my day. But it's, Mm -hmm. it's so true. I want to ask you though, because you said something, uh, in your story about like your, your drive, where, where did that, where has that come from? Has that changed? Because a lot of people say they want things, but they don't do what it takes to get it. And you've executed. Yeah. I think a lot of it is dedication, hard work, passion, a hundred percent. I also think there's a very unhealthy side of it, which I have uncovered the farther I go into life. Um, I'm 33 now and I've done a lot of therapy and a lot of like healing trauma work. (laughs) Amen. And therapists. Yes. And (laughs) it's so funny because while I have that drive and I love, you know, connecting with women and being successful and being able to help other women build a career. I also recognize now that there was a whole side of my workaholic psycho type A-ness that came from always trying to prove what I could do and trying to prove people wrong and trying to make people proud of me that maybe weren't or never expressed that to me. Or, you know, I mean, if we want to call it daddy issues, let's call it daddy. (laughs) Let's just go there. (laughs) A hundred percent, you know, like, oh, like you think I can't do this. You don't love me. You don't think I'm good enough. Fucking watch me. Yep. And, and mm-hmm. so I love that you say that because so many people, whether it's mommy issues, daddy issues, we've all got them. So it's like identifying yeah. yours and also understanding that just because you have a certain level of financial success does not mean you have fulfillment and happiness in your life. And I think the fact that you have recognized like, okay, I can go kill myself working my business and like, what's my quality of life like? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. How has that changed since you've become a mom? Like, what is it? How is your business? How is your life? How are your priorities different now than they were before you were a mom? 
it's been a roller coaster. I'll be completely honest. Um, there have been many occasions. I've told so many people this. I'm like, I feel like after you have a baby, it's like, just throw the first six months away. <laughs> like, honestly, because I was getting so down on myself because I was trying to still show up in my business the way I normally would. And I couldn't. And if I did, I would have this weird mom guilt starting where I was like, Oh God, I'm not with her enough. I'm not doing enough. Like, and so it was this very weird dynamic I went through where I wanted to show up, couldn't show up, realized I had to make changes for, you know, every avenue to be my best self, to be a good mom. Um, and having to embrace that, I don't have to work 24 seven thing to be successful because that's how I used to be a hundred percent. Um, but yeah, having to navigate that has definitely been different and very challenging at times. Um, but now I'm in the season of kind of getting back to myself and realizing like, I can't let go of all the things that drive me and that I want to do just because I have a child, you know, there's a lot of people that can do both and it's very possible. You just have to figure out how. Yeah. I had the same conversation with Kelly actually, cause obviously she's a new mom and I think your kids are probably there within couple, a year. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Just a couple months or so away from each other. What are some of like the tangible things you would say as far as advice for someone to not let being a mom be an excuse to not build their business, but also to feel like empowered to be able to manage both without being totally burnt out? Um, definitely waking up before your child, a hundred thousand percent on that one. Um, I literally get up at like five, five thirty in the morning now, which sounds crazy to some people, but I get at least two hours before she's awake that I literally do business things like a hundred percent. I have a checklist in the morning. I get it all done because in the beginning I was obviously tired as hell. I was a new mom. And I was realizing though, I was always never getting to the things I needed to do. And I was always pushing them to the next day because I was waking up with my baby and it's a hundred percent. Then you're just focused on them. Like, okay, we have to feed her. She has to do this. She has to do this. And your stuff kind of slips to the wayside. Um, so that was something I realized was a pivotal to staying on track with things. Um, and sometimes you have to make dedicated time where like, Hey, she's going to go to grandma's for the day. Hey, she's going to do this for the day. Like I need this day to get things done. Um, and not feeling bad about it. I also struggled massively with the mom guilt thing. Like I said, where, it was, you know, if I left for too long, I would come home and I would have literally have to like hold her for an hour and rock her. And I would just be like crying because I felt so bad that I was gone or missed something. And it was like really heavy. Um, so I think you've got to get in that mindset of, you know, realizing and telling yourself it's okay to have a career and be a mom. Um, they're not going to hate you for having a job or to having a career. And also like, I always have to go back to the mindset that like, think of what I'm showing her as possible versus maybe I'm not with her 24 seven, but you know, like she's going to see what a woman can do, that she can work hard, yeah. that she can build something for herself. And if she wants to follow that path, kudos to her. And if she doesn't, at least she knows she has that option and it's okay. Yes. No, I, I love that you said that because you know, I always think of my experience with my mom. My parents got divorced when I was very young and my mom was working a lot. And first of all, I loved being at grandma's house when I was growing up. Like I was right. like, yeah, take me to grandma's. Like she's going to give me ice cream in the middle of the afternoon. Cause like, she's a grandma. Like I loved that. And what I saw was my mom doing whatever she needed to do to like provide for our family. And I think that that is so almost more powerful than you being there for every single 
moment for them. And it also allows them to like grow up and not be needing you around all the time as well. It like gives them that sense of independence. Um, but I, you know, I, again, I'm not a parent. I can't imagine the mom guilt, but I think there is a power in being a strong independent mother as well, even if you are married and being able to show your daughters or sons, like what's possible for them as well. I, you know, stay at being a stay at home mom is what some people love and they love to do that. And that's fantastic. That works for them. I have realized that I could never be a stay at home. (laughs) I need my own thing. I need my time away. That's just how I, that's how I roll with things. Um, so yeah, no shame against like stay at home moms that want to do that, but it's just not for everyone. 100%. Um, okay. So a lot of people see you and watch you and, you know, they see the, I would say they see the glory, but they don't know the real story. I would love to hear from you. Some of the like harder parts of your journey, the things when they weren't going so well, like, do you have a few of those, um, maybe like transformative or shaping moments that you can Mm -hmm. recall right now? I know we didn't like prep any of these questions, but I'm just curious about like the shit times that you've gone through as an entrepreneur where you're like, I want to fucking quit. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, my sobriety, first of all, was like the most pivotal thing. In my oh, life. and we're going to dive all into that. I'm sure I'm like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> that definitely pushed me to like, I feel like I almost started to use work as a like obsessive outlet to replace the addiction. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah definitely. Yeah. So that was definitely a low point where I felt like I was using my entrepreneurship as a lifeline and an identity of who I was, which was really unhealthy. Um, but, oh my God, I feel like I've had so many examples I could use for this. Um, at beginning of my pregnancy, there were many times I literally sat on the nursery floor and cried to my husband saying, maybe I should have never done any of this. Maybe I shouldn't have opened this beauty bar because I was getting so run down mom guilt, um, betrayal and kind of getting screwed over by people that I thought were supporting me. Like it was so much happening at once that I remember literally sitting on the floor in her nursery and telling my husband, like, maybe what if I just never would have done this? Like, maybe, maybe the things would have been better. Like maybe I shouldn't have opened this place at all, which I fucking, I love my business. I'm obsessed with my business. So for me to even get to a point where I was saying those things, I knew I didn't mean them, but it was like, damn, that sucks. Mm -hmm. Um, And another low that hasn't just been like a one-time thing. It's been a theme for me for probably the past five years since I've really started diving deep in it in therapy and stuff. But I have had so many moments where I've realized nothing ever feels like enough to me. And that is something I have had to dive into massively because like within, and it's so funny. Cause like, as you rattle off all the things I've done and that's why it always is so funny to me. Cause I'm like, I know how crazy it sounds when I say this, but like, even up until this year, there were moments where I would be like, am I ever going to feel like I'm doing enough? Is this ever going to go away? Is, am I ever just going to feel like I can breathe or I'm not having to do another level and feel like I'm, I'm worthy of being proud of, or like successful enough, which is really fucked up because it's like, you hear me say, I have a multiple six figure business. And then this is what's in my head at the same time. Yes. <laughs> so that is something I have had to work on huge because I hated the feeling. I knew it was ridiculous and I knew I didn't want to feel it and I didn't have any reason to feel it. And so I knew it was something much deeper going on than what I ever realized. Mm. I think it also shows what's possible. Even if you have like limiting beliefs and things, like if you're willing Mm. to take action, what are, I mean, how, how is that going for you? Like, how's the progress? Do you, have you gotten some semblance of, you know, 
tips or anything that you've used that has helped alleviate that sense of like disease all the time? Um, yeah, definitely. I feel like obviously like recognition of things helps. Um, the first thing that really kind of like pushed it into motion to me and made me realize, which was kind of crazy was someone in my family having like a, uh, very scary health situation going on. Um, and saying certain things to me about, you know, what I've accomplished or like proud, like being proud and stuff like that, that I had never heard from them before and literally being like triggered into a massive like meltdown by it and realizing like, did I really just need to hear that this entire time, all these years? Like how fucking sad is that? And realizing like things started to move. I literally (laughs) cried on a zoom coaching call recently. Oh, with no. an entire group of people. I'm not even kidding. I was like so embarrassed afterwards that I was like, well, we're all doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, we were talking about Enneagrams and I posed a question and she was like, I know who you are. And I was like, oh, what? <laughs> like a little like, um, and she knew who I was and was just literally called me out and was like, do you realize that you've impacted like thousands of people? And I was just like, okay. Like, yeah. And she was like, no, no, no. Like, do you understand? Like, cause she was kind of seeing like, how is this girl saying? <laughs> and I literally, when she started being like, you have done so much. Blah, 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 blah. Like I broke down and started crying on a zoom call with a room full of people because I was like, oh my God, like it's, it's mind boggling to me and sad. Like hearing these things is obviously changing it so much and watching it kind of morph and it's just great. It's not kind of obsessed with how many more things can I do to help that happen and kind of like break that down more. Yeah. Do you think social media has been a, a trigger for you for like feeling like you're never doing enough? Cause I know that is for um, a lot of people. Yeah. Yes. And no. I mean, I feel like I do look at people sometimes and think, well, I don't want I don't want what that person's doing. I don't, I don't want what that person has. Like, I don't want to be that person. So like in that way, I feel like, no, but I mean, obviously you see people living a life that you're like, okay, well she gets to do that. Like what, when do I get to the level that I get to live, you know, traveling internationally every month of my life and doing all these things like, oh, okay. Like, can I get that back next? Like, where's my Birkin? Totally. (laughs) Totally. I mean, it's always present, but I, I think something that I, I see in you is you have such a strong sense of self. Like, you know, exactly who you are. And I, it doesn't ever feel like you're trying to be anything you're not. And you're very clear on what you want. And that's something a lot of people struggle with. So if you have any, um, is that always something you've had or have you had to work for that? I think I've had to work for it a little bit. You have to work <laughs> Definitely. for it. <everything>. Definitely. <laughs> um, like back when I was drinking heavily, I used it to be someone a lot of the times, you know, to be more outgoing, to be more likable, friendly, crazy, whatever, you know, being like the party girl. Um, but I think over time, and it sucks because like in a way it's like, oh, you can do this, this, and this to figure it out. But honestly, I think it just took me time. I think it took me time, life experience, going through things to be like, this is who I am you know, and kind of get in that place of like, if people don't like it, like then fuck you. (laughs) Exactly. There's always going to be somebody that doesn't like it. Right. Right. Always. Okay. I want to talk about sobriety and your journey with sobriety, Mm -hmm. because I don't know this part of your story at all. Um, (laughs) so let's just dive right into that. (laughs) Yeah. I was 
a horrible binge drinker. Um, I drank to get blacked out every time I drank. There was no glass of wine. Um, it was always like as much as possible. And I see now that so much of it was coming from a place of pain and hurt and trauma and just trying to use it as like a coping mechanism. Um, but, and it was funny cause I actually wouldn't use the word alcoholic until I was over a year sober. Like I wouldn't in, like even acknowledge that I was just like, well, I was just like drinking a lot. Like I was just partying and having a good time. Um, and I, so I ended up getting sober because I had a near death experience. I ended up in the emergency room. Um, and I had had a lot of red flaggy moments like this, like this definitely wasn't the first one. Um, but almost losing my life definitely was the turning point for me. Um, I had, I went to a music festival. I went to it every year. Um, it was an EDM festival, which obviously there's a lot of drugs going on. Um, and I had drank such a high amount of alcohol before I went in. I was already blacked out before I even got inside and then, um, took a handful of pills from someone I didn't know, just like gave them a lot of cash. Didn't know what I took. Didn't know how much I gave them. Um, and one of my friends kind of like saw it happen. And so that's how I like was able to put everything back together. And, um, I literally just went unconscious at this music festival, like dropped to the concrete, like dropped to the cement. And I was rushed to the ER because I was slightly unresponsive. I was losing pulse. I wasn't conscious like at all. Um, and I had ended up taking a lethal dose of ketamine, MDMA and Molly on top of all of the alcohol. Yeah. So (laughs) how old were you when this happened? 26. Yeah. So I, and it's so funny because I don't even remember being in the emergency room and obviously they waited until my levels came back because I was like hooked up to all these EKG machines and everything, but I was so messed up that I don't even remember when they let me leave with my friend. Like, I don't even remember being there at all, which is so crazy to me. Um, but I, left the next, or I left the next morning and then like things started coming back and I like realized what had happened. And it was kind of weird. Cause I don't think it like fully hit me until the next day. Um, I remember I went to my mom's house and she just like, let me stay there. And I just like was sleeping in her bed and my body was having these weird, like I would like, like my leg would jerk like a kick or something like And she would just like put her hand on me and be like, are you okay? And it was just like a couple of days of like this, like almost like haze and fog of like coming out of what had just happened. Um, But I don't think it even like fully 100% hit me until I went back to my apartment and I walked in and I just had this really weird moment that like was just like the craziest experience ever. Just like walking in and like having this moment of like, this could have not been me walking in. Like it could have been my mom walking in and like, you know, like seeing like what was left where, or like, you know, like, would she have taken things to remember me by like, you know, she would have had to like clear out this apartment and like that moment, like I literally sat on the floor and cried for like an hour. I could cry right now. That's yeah. It's, it's very, and that was what made me like, I need to change something because this was too much. This was too far. And realizing like, I could not be here, you know? Wow. So it was an instant that you were like, I'm going to be sober. Yeah. That was the last thing I've ever taken was that day. Wow. So that's what been seven years ago. Yeah. I just celebrated seven years in May. 
Congratulations. That's so huge. And you know, it's, it's becoming so much more of a, um, topic of conversation. There's actually a Mm -hmm. book one of my girlfriends read and I cannot remember the name right now. It's like one of the bigger books about sobriety quit like a woman is what it's called. And she read it and she was like, I, you know, same kind of thing as you where she like, she doesn't go out for one drink. It's like several Mm -hmm. and not to the point of blackout every time, but close. And I think alcohol is so normalized in our society. And it's like literally one of the worst poisons you can put in your body. And Mm -hmm. it's something that I've really just assessed like every single, I'm like, do I actually want alcohol? Not really. It doesn't make me feel better. It makes me feel like shit the next few days. Has it been challenging for you at points to be sober? Was it such a life-changing experience that it's just been like, no, I'm done. Yeah, it was really difficult in the beginning because it was so much of who I was. Like I was at the bar or at the club, you know, like going out every weekend. Like that's what I did. That's who I was. That's who my friends were. Like that was my identity. I, you know, I was always dressed like scantily clad going to the barn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like, that's who I was. Yeah. And it was funny. Cause in the beginning I had this mindset, which everybody listening is going to be like, well, that was a bad idea where I was like, well, I'm just going to do the same thing. I'm just not going to drink. <laughs> like I'm putting just yourself, go to the setting yourself up for failure. I'll be the DD. It's fine. And like, shockingly, I did not cave and drink or use anything, but I will tell you every time I was dropping my friends off at two in the morning and then driving home in a massive panic attack, crying because I was so uncomfortable trying to hold on to who I used to be, but also trying to become this new person. Mm -hmm. So it was a really tricky time in the beginning for sure. Um, I was single when I got sober. So like dating, things like that, having friends that still drink casually, that obviously comes up a lot. Um, now it doesn't really even phase me when someone's like, Oh, do you want a mimosa? Like, you know, if we're doing like a wedding job and I'm like, Oh, no thanks. Like, I just, you know, no thanks. I don't feel the need to like explain or anything. Um, but in the beginning it was kind of weird at times when people were like, Oh, do you want to drink? And you know, no. Or are you pregnant? Like, are you driving? Like, what's, why, why? Like, it was weird in the beginning because so many people like couldn't get why you weren't drinking. (laughs) Yes. Do you ever think that you'll explore dabble again? Or do you think you'll be sober for the rest of your life? It's so funny because I'm like a never say never person. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But at the same time, like there have been moments where I've thought about it, where I've thought, you know, if I could just quit cold turkey, I probably have enough willpower to, do it and control myself. But then again, it's like, you don't know until you're in it. And I just have to keep going back to the place of like, okay, so in these past seven years, let's see how exponentially better my life has gotten. Yes. What's the point? You know, that's what I come back to. Yes. I was going to ask you, like, if you would have kept going down that route of drinking versus how your life is now, like for people who are, you know, thinking about cutting out alcohol or going completely sober, like, what are some of the benefits in your life that you found that you don't think you would have had if you would have continued to drink alcohol? Um, I would not probably be married or have a child, or maybe I would have a child who knows, but I would not be married. <laughs> um, I wouldn't have met a decent yeah, person. Exactly. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had um, I wouldn't have good relationships with my family. My business would be nowhere near as successful because how does that person navigate growing a business to the level I have now? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely a lot of those things. And I think I still would be that damaged little girl trying to just get through and not feel things had I not been forced to kind of deal with them too. That is so wild. Do you, 
Do you feel like in the world of sobriety, like, like some people have a really hard time, like committing and associating themselves as sober because for some people there is like a stigma you could say, mm-hmm. but what is, what is your experience of that? Do you have that? Cause you don't really say like, Oh, I'm sober, but you are. Yeah. I mean, I don't lead with it all the time for sure. <laughs> like, Hey, um, Hey, by the way, I'm sober. <laughs> just in case you're wondering, <laughs> um, about me. Up, obviously, up. but, um, the stigma thing totally is huge, uh, because, and I think even that's why I struggled to identify with the word alcoholic or alcoholism in the beginning is because I think it's changing, but for so long, there was this image of someone sober being like a bum on the corner, begging for money, doesn't have a home, can't keep a job. You know what I mean? Like we have this picture of like, you know, they look a certain way, they act a certain way, like they can't possibly be someone running a business or, you know, doing any of these things or having friends, (laughs) you know? And I think it's, it was eye-opening to me because I didn't fit that mold. So I was like, well, that's not me, but it, it is you for a lot of people. And I think the stigma helps a lot of people ignore it or not pay attention to it because they don't think they fit that mold. I think nowadays there are a lot more examples of people living sober, positive, healthy lives that are thriving and happy and not missing out on things. Mm -hmm. So I think it's definitely shifting and there's definitely more that you can see now what's possible in sobriety that maybe people weren't looking at as much before. Yeah. Okay. So if people have questions, you wrote a book called sober as fuck. I did. Can you, and and I want to, I want you to dive into like several of the book names that you've written because I think people will hear them and they'll be like, Oh my God, that relates to me. Can you talk about like what people will find in your books, where they can get them and all of that? Yeah. So sober as fuck was my first book. Um, and it was kind of that first, it was in my first two years of sobriety, I was struggling. Um, and I started using it kind of as like an outlet, just like, I'm just going to let this all out journal, blah, blah, blah. And one day I like mentioned to my therapist, like, well, what if I like did something with it? And she was like, well, what if you did? And I was like, I don't know. I probably won't. (laughs) And she was like, you know, like you could, like, you know, you never know like what, what you could help people, blah, blah, blah. And so I had this idea, like maybe people would want to read for it or read this. And, um, it actually started, I made a YouTube video. I had like a beauty YouTube page and I made a video about why I stopped drinking. Um, like at 30 days sober, totally don't know why I was doing it. Don't know what told me to do. it was so weird. I've never done anything like that on YouTube at that point, but I made this video and I just started getting a lot of people like reaching out or wanting to connect over it. And I was like, wow, there are people that maybe want to connect with something like this. And so that was what pushed me to write the book. Um, and I wrote about my first two years sober, like why I got sober, the hard, the rough times I had depression, all those things and how I got through it. And then from there, I just was like, Oh my God, this is a really cool way to connect with people. And I really enjoyed writing. So, so talk was first. Um, then I trickled into a couple other ones. I have some short books, some planners, but probably my favorites are sober as fuck is the biggest one. It's the most popular to sells the most. Um, and then I did 30 as fuck, which was kind of like me, getting to 30, having all these life realizations during like my quarter life crisis, you know, learning a lot of things and growing. Um, and I honestly love that book. I think it's like, it yes. could be my favorite one. Like I just, I put so much into it and I feel like there's so much growth and evolution that so many women could relate to. Um, and then there's been obviously a couple in between. I have a book called not sorry, which is when I really got into my authentic, like 
this is who I am. Fuck you if you don't like it kind of thing. So that's what I really dive into in that book. And then my newest one is pregnant as fuck, which is a whole new avenue. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because I obviously have written about sobriety, female empowerment, but like being a mom was just this whole new chapter. And I originally thought it was just going to be a chapter for each month I was pregnant. And then like, I have the baby and that's it. And then it became this huge thing that carried over through the first year of being a mom, because I realized how difficult it is after you actually have a child and how that fourth trimester is so hard on the mom and, you know, going into that first year of being a mom mentally sane and the struggles and the things you face. So it was, it was crazy, but that's my newest one. And I'm really proud of it because I actually, for the first time put like personal photos in it. So like you literally see me every month, how big my belly was, you see labor, you see, you know, after she was born. So I wanted it to be a really personal journey, especially for the people that had been with me since sober as fuck. Cause it's like, they're literally following my life. I was going to say it, it kind of, um, it kind of feels like such a, I was like, I'm going to pick up all of these because it's, <laughs> you're like a few years ahead of me. Right. And so I'm yeah. like, oh, this will literally apply to each area as I grow of my life. Yeah. And I, I think that's so cool. And like continuing to do it, if it, it's a passion for you will impact so many people. Well, I'm curious for myself, what was your book writing process? Like with everything else you have going on, how did you also sit down, write a book? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, before or 10, 10, sorry, 10 books. Yeah. No, back when I was single and didn't have a child, I would just write like a psycho. Like I, and honestly, sober ass came out in a crazy ass way. I don't recommend it to anyone. I was, I was using it as such a like therapy outlet that I was just getting up every morning and writing and I would write as much as I could. I got that whole book done and self-published and everything in like six months, which is insane. I don't, I don't recommend it. <laughs> Jesus. That's so fast. But but I was so, I was struggling in sobriety. This was this new kind of obsession and like passion project for me that I was just like pouring myself into a hundred percent. Um, I've gotten much more organized and healthy with my writing as time has gone on. Um, I definitely like schedule it in. I have outsourced a lot of the process, you know, like the book layout and the covers and everything like that, because I just, it's so overwhelming to do it all yourself sometimes. Um, but yeah, it's definitely changed a little bit. I'm definitely a little more organized. I have some like strategy with it now. Um, but I mean, it's, it's very time consuming. And I will say like towards the end of the process, like you are so sick of the book, like in a way I have read this and reread it and edited it and proofread it again, like 17 times. Like, I feel like I know it by heart at this point. Um, but then once it's totally done, it's just like, oh my God, it's off into the world and hearing people's feedback and people connecting with it is just the coolest experience ever. That's amazing. On a, like a really granular level, how did you approach it each day, depending on the book and season? Like, was it like, okay, I'm going to write X amount, or I'm going to write about this topic, or did you write it out of order? Like I want all the deets. Yeah. So I would get kind of like a rough draft idea going first, where I had almost like an outline for it. And then I would just go into a chapter and start writing until I felt like I had enough bulk in that. And then I would move on. And then I would literally like do that. So I had like the bare bones of everything I wanted to write about and then go back to the beginning and literally read and go through the whole thing and bulking it up to like fill it up more. And then going back again, 
<laughs> as like a final proofread. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like you will read your book so many times, it's stupid. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then doing like a final proofread where like I make all the changes I want to make before I send it off to an editor and then get their feedback on changes I should make. And then you're literally going back through it again to do all this. <laughs> it's so much. And then you get the proof of your book and then you have to read it again to make sure oh, there's nothing my. else you want to change before the final version. <laughs> It's, it, it reminds me of like, you know, the artists and singers that have sang their songs for like 40 years. Yes. Like, I can't even imagine how tired they are of singing that right. goddamn song. It's by the Hell same yeah. book. <laughs> Hell oh, yes. My God, this is so great. So I want to know your like day-to-day routine because it seems like you're very structured. You've created planners, like you've written books, you run a bar, a beauty bar, you like do all of these things. How do you structure your day? And then also now with a child, like what does it look like? How do you plan out what's important? Do you time block? Like, what is that process for you? Um, so definitely a morning person. So I've always done my work in the morning. Um, I usually have a checklist for each day or even my week ahead of things I know I need to get to. Um, I try to break them up over days, but also stay flexible with like moving them if I need to. Um, checklists are huge for me though. I have to have a list. I have to know what's going on. I have to be organized because when you have so many ideas and so many things going on, you won't remember them all and you won't get to them all. If they're all just in your head, like things are going to fall off. You're going to just push things aside. So I have to stay very organized. Um, definitely morning is like my like power hour, power two hours where I really knock out the priority things. Uh, and then really just trying to figure out like what else needs to go on. Um, I do look ahead and have like, okay, this month I want to focus on these things at the beginning of the year. I literally have like a goal list of the things I want to get to for the year. I'm very listy. If you Mm -hmm. haven't noticed. Same. I love a good list. (laughs) But I think it does help me a lot. And as I mentioned now with a child, like I have to get up before her and there's times, you know, maybe it won't work out, but like I have to get up before her and get to that stuff. So I have that time to prioritize me and what I'm doing before her as horrible as that sounds, you have to do it if you want to get to things. Um, and like I said, kind of like making plans that someone can take her. If I have a lot of things I need to get done and try to cram them all in one day and she's out for the day, let's get to this list. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. That definitely helps. Um, I am envious of the mothers that can use nap time to get things done because she never naps for more than like 30 minutes. So it's basically like, what one thing can I get done? Like, I'm going to take a shower, <laughs> wash my hair, maybe, <laughs> or I'm going to run a load of laundry real quick. But like, that's, yeah, like I don't have these like, oh, they nap for two hours. I get so much done. Like, I don't have that. It's, I wish I did. I'm envious of that. <laughs> that is so funny. No, I love this. Also, okay. So you also, I mean, you do so much shit, babe. It's like I know. insane. I know. So <laughs> you also, you speak at events and stuff like that, but you also have a, her best fucking brunch events, correct? You do. Is that like a yearly thing? I'm intrigued about it. Yeah. I used to do them every few months. Um, COVID obviously. And it was so crazy. Cause I feel like I had like some crazy momentum going with that. I sold out my first one day event to a hundred women, like right before I got married and COVID started. And I felt like I was just like, Oh my God, we can go bigger next time. Like I just had my site totally. set like up and then COVID started and it was like, fuck you. You're not going to have any events yeah. for two years. <laughs> yeah. And I, I Joke's had on a you. small little pop-up type thingies during COVID, like any way we could, but, um, I've had, I did one at our beauty bar last year and it's so funny. Cause I just looked at it and I was like, wow, it's almost been a year since I've had one of these events. 
And I blame it on the beauty bar and I blame it on momhood that I've just been like, <laughs> there's so much going on. I used to record a podcast every week. I haven't done that in months. Um, things definitely, yeah, the, the thing is definitely kind of like fall to the wayside, but I think I'll always do events because I really do love being in a room of women and the energy and the inspiration. And that's why I still speak at events. And so I really do enjoy stuff like that. Yeah. What can people expect when you do have your next brunch? What can they expect from that event? Oh my God. They're so much fun. They're so cute. There's like the best photo ops, uh, but we usually just have a couple female speakers, uh, talk about, you know, their journey or a specific topic. Um, and it's just great networking and making friends and just getting a group of women together. And the crazy thing that always happens to me, and I don't know why, I guess I'm just really good at like holding space. Um, people always cry. Yeah. That means you have a good event going. <laughs> yeah. Like people always cry. And I'm always like, damn, this is getting like real intense, but like, cause we always go around cause they're usually under 40 people, like the regular events, not the huge ones. So like we do at the end, you know, we go around, everyone kind of shares a little bit and like, like women will just break down crying and talking about what's going on in their life. And I'm just like, oh my God. like, I love being able to be that for people and hold yeah. space. But there are times where I'm like, God, like these girls really needed this. Like they needed to come to a place where they could just talk and connect and, you know, be able to get things off their chest and how they're feeling. It's so true. And I'm the biggest believer in events. Um, and I'll always like go support events. I'll go to, I'm actually going to one next weekend. I'm going to slay the spray in September. I think they're the most important thing for people because they changed my life so much and Mm -hmm. getting people together. Like they literally need it. Like we need community, like we need to breathe and they need culture, like they need to breathe. So I think it's so cool that you, you know, do that on top of everything else you're doing. Um, I feel like I could talk to you about a hundred more things, but I don't (laughs) want to keep you too. (laughs) We can have you now. So I know your mom, you got, you got shit to do. Um, Where can people find you? Like, obviously they can come in and into your beauty bar, but if they don't live locally, like how can people work with you? Where are all the different things? I'll also link everything below, obviously, but yeah, sure main areas. So I am speaking with you at Slay the Spray, actually. Um, I was actually going to ask you if you were going to be. Yeah. There. I'm so, what day are you speaking? <laughs> Sunday. Oh, me too. Yeah. So I'll okay. be there. Uh, one of my girls from the beauty bar is coming with me because she uh, trained through Kelly's spray tanning program. So um, yeah, we're both coming. So we'll be there. Um, But yeah, if anyone wants to find me, all of my books are on Amazon Kindle. I have a few on Audible, hopefully more soon, um, because I do record them myself. So that's just another thing thing to to add to the list. (laughs) So yeah, that. um, I have a website, sarahordo.com. I'm on Instagram. My business is on Instagram. Everything's under 24 Lux, the number 24 L-U-X-E. Um, and I have a podcast, her best fucking life that maybe I'll get back to recording soon. <laughs> we'll see. Don't you have an Academy as well? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I did one round of a, uh, self-publishing Academy. I called it oh, rebel amazing. writing Academy and I did it once. And I think about it a lot. I don't know if I'll bring it back just because yeah. writing is such a customized process. I feel like it's, it, to, it was just a little difficult to get everybody on the same page and schedules because everybody doesn't do things the same way. Yeah. So I learned that the first time we went through it. So I don't know if that will come back. Right. But that's not something people can like access recordings of or anything that was like a live. Yeah. And I do have um, on my website links to a couple um, live trainings I did that I turned into virtual trainings on self-publishing and writing and the strategies I use and things like that. 
Amazing. Well, I'm, I love your story. I just love who you are as a person and I'm so grateful that we're connected. Thank you so much for your time. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on. Yes, of course. See you later guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Prism podcast episode this week. It means so much that you got to the end of this episode. I want to acknowledge you for tuning in to grow yourself every single week. So if you loved this episode, leave a rating and a review. Please subscribe so that I know that you're loving this content and I will see you next week.